This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 5.07. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila, Lynn and Sharad. First up, Transport Minister Anthony Lok went undercover on an LRT ride yesterday. So this incognito approach uh, was taken during... The LRT's peak hours, uh, this was on the minister's first day back on the job yesterday, and he said that he wanted to better understand the experience of daily commuters, so he took the Klanajaya line between 5 to 7pm, which are uh, peak hours. He spent. Um, so he found overall that the trains were packed and that it was an uncomfortable experience for passengers. Uh, he also said that he did not inform Prasarana management uh, or the media because he wanted to, I guess, you know, have a true-to-life experience. This is not the first time that Anthony Locke has done this. Uh, in his previous stint as Transport Minister, he also did these uh, spot checks. Yeah, of course, you know, ministers actually discarded their motorcades um, and, you know, and their luxury vehicles on a daily basis. They truly understand what uh, <laughs> commuters experience because it's not just a one-off. The other thing, of course, he's right in saying, you know, this um, uh, that he didn't want to alert the management because, you know, there's the tendency for management to want to present the best uh, image of what they're doing and they might have dressed up the situation. So all of us who do take public transport on a daily basis know that lifts don't work, uh, escalators don't work sometimes, toilets are closed. During Strange peak, leaks exist. Uh, toilets don't, uh, not operable during the most uh, relevant times of the day. And so, you know, why would you close a public toilet in an MRT uh, peak hour. I mean, it's just shocking, but this happens. And if you take the train, you know it does. I didn't expect toilets to come up this much in a conversation about the LRTs because that's not something I've thought about too much. But clearly, clearly an issue felt keenly. Well, you because you, you probably drive, right? And then what you All do- the LRT rides I take um, are not sort of day-long affairs where I've needed to contend with, well basically needing to use the bathroom. Yeah, which is actually, you know, one of the functions. Uh, I think the idea, I mean, we always talk about the last mile and such, but it is a wait. When you have to wait and people have to wait in large numbers, you know, there's going to be a need to answer the call of the wild. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, it's answer the call of nature. <laughs> I did not know that was where we were going to go. To be fair, um, I did appreciate uh, the minister saying that he acknowledged that it was an uncomfortable experience. Um, And I don't know, I'm not sure whether this is necessarily the be-all and end-all of understanding what the LRT experience is like for riders. But I do appreciate that at least it's being done not in the way we've come to see it, which is the lawatan where you have like photographers and media people surrounding the minister. Because really, what do you learn from that? So no, just a minister in a cap and a face mask. Yes. Walking around. Yes. Shielding his face. Um, I think that that is important. I also think that one of the main things that happens whenever we talk about transport on the show is that people will say, have these ministers actually gone to the ground? Have these ministers actually ridden our trains, our buses? And so... What comes of this, I think, is the next important thing because you've experienced it. Um, you know that there are pre-existing issues. So what is done next to resolve this is very important. But um, at least at the outset, having a minister or, or having, a, having a public servant who actually attempts to understand things, I think, is crucial. One of the things I think also needs to happen is the people who design these systems need to be the ones... 
using it on a regular basis to understand mm. what the problems are. And, you know, somebody who does, in fact, use public transport, just the smallest things like the times for the buses, you know, that, uh, that service the stations, you're, you're told about the time the bus arrives at the station, not when it leaves. And actually knowing when it leaves is the most important thing. And so there's some extraordinary things that, are just, uh, that just don't make sense to, I think, the commuter that have been put into the system uh, by people who clearly don't use it. So we're talking about a newly minted transport minister on the first day on the job, uh, taking an incognito LRT ride. So we are asking you, how can the LRT improve? You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. After this, we'll be joined by independent urban mobility researcher Azif Azudin. So keep it here on the evening edition, BFM 89.9. Spanish Fraudulent Maneuvers, BFM 89.9. It's 5.13. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila, Lynn and Sharad. And we are talking about our LRT and how that can be improved. This is coming on the wake of Transport Minister Anthony Loke taking an undercover ride yesterday on the trains uh, to... I suppose, observe for himself what the situation on the ground is. So we'd like to hear hear from you. How can the LRT be improved? You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now is Azif Azudin, who is an independent urban mobility researcher. Azif, good to have you back with us. Hi, thanks for having me. So, um, as we said, the minister went undercover to see what the trains were like during peak hours. What were your immediate thoughts on this? I think it's a great PR move on Anthony Loke's part, uh, especially because, one, he did it with much fanfare. He did it undercover, right? Uh, he only probably had one aide following him, taking pictures. Uh, and he was there, I think, immersing in what one could say was the typical experience of a public transport user, which is great. He didn't draw much attention to himself, and people only knew afterwards when he posted up that, you know, he's been on the public transport uh, and this was how it was like. So, yeah, and he got a lot of positive reviews as well from people, right? People are saying, hey, this is what this is what our ministers should do. This is what our politicians should do uh, in understanding the pulse of the public, right? And then what do you make of the choice of which form of transport and which line in particular to observe? What makes the Klanajaya LRT line particularly significant? Yeah, I think he made the right choice in choosing, uh, in choosing to survey the Klanajaya LRT line. One is because the Klanajaya line is the one is the busiest line with the highest membership numbers. Right? So if you're talking about pre-pandemic in 2019, the LRT Klanajaya line had up to 94.6 million in annual ridership, right? and that's the highest. Even this year in 2022 you're seeing an average of maybe 5.3 million average ridership now, uh, average ridership in a, uh, in a month, right? In comparison, the Ampak LRT has 1 million deaths, which is 4.2. So you can see that uh, that Klanajai line, uh, on average, historically, has the highest and is the most business line. And this is a testament of how important the line is, especially when there were breakdowns happening uh, and technical problems happening last month that affected how people use the line uh, and subsequently became kind of like a rallying call for the improvement of public transport in general. As if, speaking about the recent troubles that the Klanjana LRT line has had, uh, what do you know of uh, the, the, those troubles? Uh, have they been resolved? Are they likely to emerge in the future again? So I was informed that that the, the technical issues have been taken into account, has been resolved somewhat. Uh, but however, there has been several disruptions involving the Klanjana line uh, since last month's incident. None 
that reached the scale of what happened in early November. But there are still some problems here and there where trains break down, uh, trains stop, and there are some technical disruptions here and there. But I would say that since he went yesterday, um, Anthony would have likely experienced things like, I would say, what, crowdedness, um, typical low frequencies, five minutes, uh, five, every five minutes. So I would say that, yeah, maybe things have improved a little bit since last month, but we are still on low frequencies. Uh, things still need to be improved. So he did say he didn't. Uh, he did say that uh, that the trains were packed and that they were uncomfortable for passengers. Uh, what else are you hoping he might have picked up from this two-hour spot check? Right. So if you look at his post uh, on his Facebook or on his social media, I think that he seems to highlight two major things in his post. Quite, uh, quite, I'll say, quite obviously, right? So if you think about it, there was a picture of him where he's crowded in the train. I think this also indicates, to, this relates to frequencies, right, as well as carriage capacity. The fact that there are local frequencies means more people get on trains, right, but that also means it becomes more uncomfortable. Uh, that also leads, I think, if you're talking about the COVID-19 pandemic and how it relates to it, you're talking about crowdedness and the possibility of viral uh, or infections, right, uh, airborne infections in closed spaces. But the second thing which I found most interesting, almost comical in a way, was how he also highlighted station infrastructure and its maintenance. So there are three photos uh, I noticed that he chose to post, right? Uh, things like the broken escalator, the leaking ceiling with, you know, yellow, with the yellow bucket on the floor, uh, which is quite a meme uh, if, if, you, if you're used to internet culture, right, especially on Twitter. And also the temporary hallway, which looks kind of scary to go into, especially if it's at night. Now, he seems to highlight these three major things, which shows, you know, the lack of maintenance, you know, due to Prasarana's financing culture that doesn't prioritize OPEX, right? Or if you're talking about jurisdiction, how there's a lack of discipline in Prasarana, making sure its contractors are accountable to fixing and maintaining infrastructure. So I think the choice of photographs that Anthony Luke choose to make public kind of highlights the main issues, the main pain points that public transport users taking the RT line or trains in general feel. We do have a WhatsApp message uh, that's come through from Carl. Um, and I think that there are a few points to pick up here. So Carl says, why does a minister need to do what the Prasarana CEO should do? Sorry, just provoke, provoke a bit. Um, and I think that, so, okay, so there's that. Uh, but the other part of it is, I think, a valid question, right? So if we talk about who is supposed to be um, making these changes or attempting to actually understand uh, what's wrong, what needs to be fixed, uh, where should the... I guess, where should the greater bulk of responsibility lie? Uh, well, I think it is for me, the, great, the responsibility should lie with the service operator, which is essentially Pasarana anyway. But I think Anthony Lowe, as Minister of Transport, I think because he's also an elected representative, an MP, uh, chosen by the people, right? So essentially, I think his role as minister is to also put public pressure or at least, lead pol- or at least shape policies that can improve public transport. So sometimes maybe top management of Prasarana might be removed from decision-making uh, on the lower levels or maybe experiencing what the lower level uh, management are experiencing of it, or removed from what people are experiencing in general. Now, the role of Anthony Luke, I guess, uh, if I'm trying to understand the logic what Anthony Luke can bring to the table by doing what he did, is essentially to put public pressure on Prasarana to show that, hey, I've gone down, I've experienced this too, people have, the public have experienced this, I've experienced this, can we do something about it, right? Uh, and there's nothing better, I guess, than to walk into the table, discussing exactly what you experience and finding ways to kind of improve from there. Uh, basically bringing concrete evidence, right, to Prasarana that this is what can be changed.
I said, would you like the minister to make more secret surveys and what other forms of transport, KTM, bus, and in fact, uh, surveys outside the Klang Valley? Do you think this would be beneficial? Oh, definitely. In the transport, uh, in the public transport groups I'm in, I think there's also there are already wish lists for the minister to kind of like, hey, come to rural Malaysia, come to this, come to the uh, come to Borneo, for example, right? Or go up to the east coast and try taking the trains there. Uh, so yeah, I think definitely there are calls. Uh, this is a quite I would say it's quite a popular move for the minister to do this, but at the same time, you have to understand that the minister has higher priorities than to do secret surveys like this. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, the minister is there to direct the policy agenda of the ministry. His job isn't the, isn't to go down <laughs> to to do this sort of surveys. His job, I think, at the end of the day, in a more realistic manner, I think would be would be for him to appoint or to put together a task force that can actually do what he does. Um, you know, on his level, because he has other priorities as well to look at. But I was thinking, yeah, it's great. It's great to do this sort of secret service, or I think they call it mystery shopper. Uh, <laughs> that's what it's called. Yeah, this sort, that sort of approach is a great approach. So what sort of more formalised studies would you like to see the new ministry overall undertake? Right. So for me, I think what the minister has done, what the minister did so far yesterday is to... Uh, I guess you can call it a steel world, right? Two hours in a single day is not representative of how a user typically experiences it. You kind of get that temperature for how it feels to be using public transport in three hours. But I think ideally, right, you want the transport ministry to conduct mystery software service. I talked about this a little bit earlier just now, done over a duration of time, right? So you have a group of people, people who use public transport frequently to kind of sign in into kind of anonymous program that they can kind of survey they can kind of take note of the services experience, how they experience public transport, what can be improved, what they feel can be done, what sort of benchmark can they match it against, right? Is the train on time? Is the, do the buses reach on time? Is the app Pulse working as it's intended, right? Now, to my understanding, Prasna actually does this sort of thing where they do focus groups uh, to get feedback from users on how they can improve the service. But I don't know how much of this feedback goes in improving the service, especially because a lot of public transport issues are systemic, right? So in this instance, a ministry or an agency-led initiative might have more pull uh, or influence in making an impact, which is why I think this is something that the Ministry of uh, Transport should do, or even APAD, right? The agency intended to do this sort of thing. So the minister has said he's going to meet with Prasarana to discuss improvements. What are the outcomes you're hoping to see from this? Right. So one, in, I would say increase the affirmatives because right, right now, five minutes per... Well, five minutes frequencies are not enough, right? As you can see in, uh, in the pictures that Antelope posted, the trains are crowded, especially because Kalanja Line is very uh, is a very busy line. So you, increasing frequencies means you can transport more people uh, and you'll have less problems with uh, crowdedness. But secondly, I think more importantly, is to improve the maintenance uh, of infrastructure, right? So whether it's the train itself or whether it's the station, and as well, Anthony needs to also communicate the need to move towards an OPEX-based financing or, you know, for public transport. Uh, and I've talked about this many times, where it's important for us to fund the OPEX for public transport as opposed to putting money into CAPEX. Because OPEX is how you make sure that the trains run. OPEX is how you make sure that buses run on time, they run frequently, they do, they have enough network, enough coverage. And I hope, I hope this is something that he can convince the Minister of Finance or the Prime Minister um, to make any meaningful changes in public transport as well. Can we get a bit granular? The the automatic train control system was blamed for the breakdowns in November. Do you think there are uh, any lessons that this new administration has to learn about dealing with such systemic problems? 
Right. And I think the answer to that really is that really is scheduled maintenance. Uh, we have a maintenance cost that is subpar. Um, and if you think about it, right, during the pandemic, a lot of the maintenance done was not done on regular schedules. And I guess that the logic that Prasad and gave was because there was low ridership, not many people were taking the train, so there was a decrease in the maintenance schedules. But as, as you can see, as the ridership picked back up, as you move back into normal, uh, into normal times, uh, that's when the problem became bad because, well, we didn't, we didn't maintain it as we should, right? So I hope that, you know, as we slide into post-pandemic years, Pasana should be picking up, should be picking up the pace into having more regular maintenance, right? To replace any broken parts, any faulty parts, uh, or to make sure that things are just running in general. And how do you do that? You fund OPEX. You make sure that there's enough money to make sure that there's maintenance happening, that the service is running as it should. So many people are happy to see Anthony look back in the transport ministry. If we look back at his previous run, uh, were there policies or initiatives that moved the needle on improving public transport? Right. Um, from my personal assessment, unfortunately, apart from the subsidised fares, which, I, which, is a great, which is a great policy, right? Um, Anthony's first stint as public transport minister, as transport minister didn't really leave behind anything meaningful. I mean, if you think about it, one of his first measures that he came into in 2018 was really to disband SPAD. Disbanded SPAD replaced it with APAD, which is essentially toothless, a far weaker agency than what it used to be, right? Uh, that or, you know, renegotiating several regional rail projects and subsequently uh, stopping them, right? So I think, and I hope that this time around, um, as Transport Minister, again, he reconsiders uh, his moves more carefully, right? To think about what are the long-term effects. Uh, of doing certain moves, um, of introducing certain policies, right? And it shouldn't just be about cost measures. It should also be thinking about long-term measures. At the end of the day, for me, public transport is a public good, which means it has to be, it's a loss-making enterprise, but you fund it because there are benefits, socioeconomic benefits way beyond the revenue stream, right? Uh, and I hope this is what Professor Anthony Lok can bring into the table this second time around. So, Asif, just to follow up on the SPAD thing, do you think he should reinstate it? I mean, having, I mean, dismantled, as, as you said, was this a mistake he made? I think it was a mistake he made it, because it felt hasty, right? The SPAD was reassembled into APAT, uh, and I get it. The logic was to kind of give the powers back to the different, the, the jurisdictional powers back to the different agencies like JPJ, for example, right? But at the same time, what was lost with bringing it back to APAT was the regional and transport planning powers and uh, sort of capabilities that SPART had that APAT didn't. So what I hope that Anthony can do this time around was is really to use the model that SPART had, right, which is the regional planning, uh, which is kind of like the overall transport planning, and kind of give that to regional powers. So one thing which I think has been discussed quite frequently, I think, among public transport researchers, uh, like myself or advocates, is really to have regional public transport planning, right? So the East Coast having a regional planning, uh, regional planning system, uh, the, the Southern Coast, Central Malaysia, uh, East Malaysia. So that way, when you have a regional planning system, which sound, which is similar to what APAT has, but more localized, more contextualized, you have a better approach to public transport planning. So what we want is SPART, but not national. SPART, but regional instead. And I think that is a much better approach. There's a much more cost-effective approach. Azif, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you. That was Azif Azudin, independent urban mobility researcher, weighing in on... Um 
The Transport Minister's incognito LRT ride yesterday and in a larger sense, improvements that we would like to see to our public transportation system, uh, both the LRT and um, the other systems that we make use of. Keep those thoughts coming. How would you like to see our LRTs improve? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.